0: Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit, and I haven't had a podcast in a few weeks. It's December 11th now, and I think the reason is, is that I you really need to feel to say something to do a podcast. You can't just wake up and, and do the podcast. You have to have a passion for a subject, and over the last few weeks, I, I've really been at a loss. I've wanted to do one, but it never really felt that it was the right time to do it I just couldn't seem to get it together enough to feel strongly enough about doing a podcast And I think it was that I was really just too frustrated to do a podcast because the state of the world really was overwhelming you know in terms of wanting to try to make some logic out of it the hypocrisy of the world is it's just been too much to bear of late for me to really try to break it all down. Now I'm obviously talking about the madness that's going on in the world now and I've got other things to talk about in this podcast but I'm going to start with I watched the video the compilation video of the October 7 Hamas massacre of Israelis at the music festival and It's a compilation of GoPro videos that were carried by the Hamas terrorists, as well as dash cam videos of cars of the Israeli victims, of some of them, and security cameras that were set up in the area. And all of this really does impact what's going on in the world today. And when you actually think about it coherently, it's complete madness, The GoPro videos that were carried by uh, the Palestinian Hamas members on October 7 show them happily killing adults in front of their screaming children. I mean, they wanted this on tape. They wanted the world to see this. They wanted to terrorize. That's why they're called terrorists. Um, There are kids crying. One I saw with his eye blown out. This is a child, a small child, his eye blown out. The Hamas member who had just killed his father – goes into the family's refrigerator and drinks their soda while these two brothers are hysterical. Then he throws a grenade at the children, killing them. It's all on video. A kindergarten teacher hiding under her students' rest mats trying to prevent the terrorists from finding her. Well, they found her, they murdered her, and then they are seen carrying her dead body away. Young adults hiding in porta-potties from the terrorists at the music festival the terrorists fire into them, killing young adults, teenagers. The videos that were put together by the Israelis did not show the rapes. But there are clear signs that Hamas targeted young women at the festival and, and other nearby sites. There's a video of a group of more than five teenage girls terrified, shaking, and huddled together in a tent. A Hamas terrorist enters the tent. All the girls are then shown handcuffed and walking out of the tent. It's like a a cut uh, to the next scene. They're walking out of the tent. Their faces are cut. Their faces are bruised. Eye sockets swollen. Teeth are full of blood. They're clearly, they've been beaten. Some of them are shoved into different vehicles. One girl from the original huddle is seen in the line that's walked out of the tent. She's separated and put into a jeep. Later, the same girl with her pants soaked in blood around her anus to the front of her pants. She's moved from the trunk of the Jeep to the back seat. There are multiple photos of dead teenage women laying in the field of the festival with no pants on. Legs are disfigured in in unnatural positions that would require, obviously, breaking them to form into those positions. And obviously there are tons of testimony of victims who describe the rape and murder committed by the Palestinians during the massacre. Another scene shows Hamas in a kibbutz screaming at a dead elderly man laying on the ground. Multiple terrorists step on the dead man's head. One of the terrorists asks for the garden hoe nearby. The Palestinian terrorist takes the hoe and repeatedly strikes at the old man's throat, trying to behead the man. With each swing, he's screaming, Allah Akbar, because to him, God is great. This is what he was put on earth to do, this Palestinian, to kill. In another scene, a Hamas terrorist takes a knife and quietly, uh, quickly severs the head of an IDF soldier with his helmet still on his head. Once the terrorist cuts entirely through the head, he picks up the soldier's head and walks off with it, leaving the body behind. Another photo just shows heads found in a field that are flattened from some type of smashing. There's so many photos of dead children and babies. They're found just where they dropped, others in body bags, young children still in their Mickey Mouse pajamas, bloodied. Some children are burned and mutilated. A Hamas leader is giving orders to kill systematically conserving ammunition. Quote, shoot them just once in the head, save your ammo. That's the communication that's going back to their leaders in Gaza. There is an audio recording of one Hamas terrorist who used an Israeli woman's cell phone to call his parents father i just killed 10 jews their blood is in my hands thank god tell mom tell mom i am using a jew woman's phone the parents he's talking to just yell and reply kill 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 these are the palestinian terrorists that the world is are so concerned about the civilians survivors of the massacre witnessed women being gang raped and beheaded they shot women in the vaginas, in their breasts. They were celebrating as they were torturing women. A woman had her breasts cut off as she was being raped, then shot in the head. The Hamas terrorist kept raping her dead body. This is Palestine. This is what they are. This is the government of Palestine that wants their own state. A pregnant woman was murdered and her fetus cut out. And then the fetus was shot to death. Men were raped as well. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise as the Iranian government, the financial backers of Hamas, raped men, women, and children, protesters of their government over the last few years when they were in custody. This is what this type of diseased Islamist mentality, this is what they are. Hamas terrorists kidnapped children and put them on motorcycles, and they were told to create a specific sign on their bodies. They put one of the children's legs on the motorcycle exhaust pipe to use the burns as identification. The children were repeatedly drugged and shuffled from one location to another when they were hostages. And what has frustrated me so much that I felt it impossible to even do a podcast was that nearly every women organization in the world was completely silent about the violence done to women, to Israeli women, by Hamas. The hypocrisy was just shocking to me. Nearly 50 days after the Hamas massacre, and after weeks of criticism over its silence about the sexual violence during the attack, the women's right group of UN women issued a statement condemning Hamas. As soon as they put up the statement, they then deleted the post. This is what, is, this is what the UN is now, an Islamist terror apologist. In addition, there's massive amount of violent global protests for Hamas, and it, it, it made me and it should make you physically sick And it told me a lot. It was over the top against Israel from day one. Before Israel even responded to the massacre, there already were protests calling for the genocide of Jews all over the world. They weren't to defend Hamas or defend Palestinians. They were to continue the massacre. They felt liberated by the massacre of Israelis by Palestinians. And they're all riots. They weren't protests. Again, they called for the murder of Jews. None were against what Hamas did. None called for Hamas to surrender or hand back the hostages to prevent the war that was coming. They were just calling for the destruction of Israel and the death of Jews globally. The protests were simply about destroying Jews, which is why so many non-Israeli Jews were targeted, in them, or targeted by these, these riots. It wasn't about Israel. As I said, it was before Israel even began bombing Gaza in response to the massacre. The main goal was simply to get global public opinion immediately against Israel to ensure that Israel would be stopped from destroying the worst Muslim terror group in the world, Hamas. And it was also to go after Jews. And the protests were ready immediately to stop Israel. From the beginning, they were organized from like hour one. Clearly, they were part of the Hamas attack. They were ready for this. And these are not exactly highly intelligent, organized people, the Islamists. They're fucking imbecile, massacring savages. Suddenly, they're all together with their signs all ready to go. But the hypocrisy continued in the months that followed. For some reason, even after Israel gets savaged by this Iranian terror proxy, and two months into it now, even after Hamas has repeatedly said they're coming into Israel again to rape and kill children, even... Bernie Sanders over the weekend said, you can't have a ceasefire with these people. They're telling you that they're going to do it again. Somehow Bernie Sanders, who hates Israel, he gets it because he's just being honest for once. For once. But after all this, after all the the rape and the murder of children in Israel, the world is pretending that somehow these Palestinians who celebrated this massacre, somehow they're the victims? They're not the victims like we've seen in the Ukraine or Syria or Yemen or Darfur, civilians who just wanted freedom and were slaughtered by Muslim terrorists. Palestine, Gaza, is a terror enclave. They elected Hamas. 75% of them supported the massacre in Israel. Only 13%, 13% were against it. They're a degenerate, backward, vicious, psychotic people who congratulate each other when their children are killed in terror attacks against Israelis. They pass out candy to children when a terrorist kills a Jewish child. They sacrifice their children, they lynch supposed collaborators in public, and they have their own children spit on the dead bodies. This is a deeply disturbed, violent, vile, diseased people. They're the shit stains on the world. And yet somehow the world pretends that they're the victims. They're not the victims. Now, I'm not suggesting that Israel should target civilians. But when you have an enemy whose only military tactic is to hide among civilians to get them killed in order to get global opinion against Israel, in order to force a ceasefire to allow the enemy to survive, what choice does Israel have? And many of the so-called civilians, as I said, they're willful human shields. Why should Israel risk a single soldier to protect Palestinian civilians, as I said, of which 75% of them supported the October 7 massacre and only 13%, one in eight, were against it? Most of the human shields in Gaza are voluntary. Why should a single Israeli die to protect these complicit terrorists? And that's what they are. If they help Hamas, they're terrorists too. And they deserve to go. Not the children, as they're innocent and unable to form consent, even if they do hate Jews. There's videos of Palestinians lynching their own people, as I said, stringing them up during the past two months. Stringing them up upside down, killing them while they're screaming, Allah Akbar, in front of children. This is what they think of their own children. They want them to see this. The kids are walking by, spitting on the bodies. I mean, they're executing people in public. This, This people that wants their own state in front of children. Now, these are presumably the same children who were seen celebrating on October 7 in Gaza, spitting on the dead, naked bodies of Israeli women who had been killed and dragged back to Gaza. Children and civilians were then filmed by Palestinians kicking the bodies, spitting on them. These are the poor Palestinian civilians that we need to protect. Fuck them! But the kids are still kids, no matter how ruined they are, no matter how uh, sure that they'll grow up to be terrorists. These children are taught in schools that Jews are not human and must be killed. They're taught in UN refugee schools with textbooks that are anti-Semitic. But as I said, the adults, Israel should be careful not to deliberately harm them. But if they're shielding a terrorist, they need to be destroyed without a second of hesitation. It's not genocide. It's war. And just as every country in a war tries to win, Israel should destroy Gaza if that's the only way to get Hamas to surrender or to destroy them. They could surrender at any time and spare Gazans, but it's clear that they want Gazans to die. I mean, Hamas isn't going to surrender. So destroying Hamas, even if it destroys Gaza, is, is a fair game in a war. And frankly, I'm all for it. I hope it's fucking glass when it's over. More hypocrisy. Whichever few Democrats in America actually don't hate Jews in Israel, even less of them are willing to lose a few votes to supporting Israel, which is why you see Joe Biden and his administration backing off helping Israel. A month ago or two months ago, they acknowledged that Hamas had to go. Now they want a permanent ceasefire, which means Hamas survives, and another October 7 will happen again, and tens of thousands more Palestinians will be killed in the next war. Even Bernie Sanders, as I said, recognize how dumb this is. You see that no one on the Palestinian side gives a shit about tens of thousands more dead Palestinians if Hamas is allowed to survive. They just want Hamas to survive because they think it will hasten Israel's end. That's why they're calling for the ceasefire, which is why, as I said, in all of these violent so-called Palestine, pro-Palestine riots all over America and Europe, In New York City, seemingly every day, across college campuses, no one is calling for Hamas to surrender. No one is calling uh, for the hostages to be given back. They're just calling for the destruction of Israel, the gassing of Jews. They want the Intifada to be global, which means the murder of Jews worldwide. But mainly they just are calling for a ceasefire because they know it will ensure that Hamas will survive. And so what that if it means tens of thousands more dead Palestinians? They don't care. They want dead Jews, and dead Jews can happen if Hamas is permitted to survive. And this is why pro-Hamas masquerading as pro-Palestinian riots are occur- occurring all over America. they in Christmas tree lightings in big cities, Hanukkah, Menorah lightings in big cities, at museums, at McDonald's, at at Jewish-owned stores. It's why those savages are destroying property, stabbing and killing people in Europe because of Palestine. They're trying to influence policy. Specifically, they're trying to get people so sick and tired of having to deal with them that they'll make the Israeli government stand down into a ceasefire, which means allowing Hamas to survive so they can kill Jews again. Clearly, if anybody cared about Gazan civilians, they would insist that Hamas go. But how can you insist that Hamas go when Palestinians themselves love Hamas? They worship Hamas. But look how behavior is being changed by the Muslim terror horde. Jews are having their public Hanukkah celebrations canceled. They're told to remove their mezuzahs from their doorways. To not reveal that they're Jewish? Now the world is being forced to change their behavior because of Muslim terrorists? How about we just destroy the Muslim terrorists instead? They're running the world now, apparently. I, for one, my maziz is up on the door. If you come to take it off, I'm gonna shoot you. So, I mean, it's simple as that. <laughs> I mean, you wanna come and take it? You come and get it. Let's see how it ends for you. It's not clear. Is it not clear? that the behavior by Hamas supporters doesn't end with Israel? You can't possibly think that if they are appeased, if you give them Israel, that it ends with Israel. It begins with Israel. And this really isn't up for debate. When they were lopping off the heads inside Charlie Hebdo, the French magazine headquarters in 2015, which dared to have satire against the, the Prophet Muhammad, who was a child molester, it wasn't because of Israel. When they were slaughtering people inside a kosher deli a few days later, it had nothing to do with Israel. When they're killing a teacher in France, shooting football fans in Sweden, or slaughtering civilians in Syria, or in Yemen, or in Darfur, or in New York City, it's got nothing to do with Israel. Which is why the rioters are trashing Jewish-owned businesses and calling for the gassing of Jews. It's not about Israel. Because if they cared so much about humanity which is what they say that they are, they'd care about the millions that were killed in Syria, Darfur, Yemen. No one cares about any of, of those dead civilians because Jews can't be blamed. Not one of these Hamas protesters in America, even though we're Syria, Darfur, or Yemen, is on the fucking map. There were literally millions of innocent civilians killed in Syria, Darfur, and Yemen by Muslim terrorists, naturally, and no one said a peep. Millions! Why? There's also a million Muslims being held in concentration camps in China. Nobody gives a shit. Why? Because the Muslim protesters, they don't care when they can't blame genocides on Jews or the West. They don't value their own lives. Their lives are just a means to the end, to take over the West, to destroy Israel. Instead, Israel responds uh, to a massacre, and on day one we hear the lies about genocide in Gaza, even though their population has doubled in the last bunch of years. Tell me, did the butcher of Syria, Assad, did he provide humanitarian pauses when he was barrel-bombing his own citizens when he was gassing them? Did he provide safe areas to his own people he was killing? Of course not. But now Assad is screaming about the genocide in Gaza, and the world isn't laughing in his face, and they should be. It tells you what a joke this is. There's no genocide in Gaza. These protesters aren't about saving lives, unless we're talking about saving Hamas lives. And the ostensible reason Jews are being attacked globally is because Israel is defending itself against Hamas, which after slaughtering 1,200 mostly uh, uh, civilian victims on October 7, took 240 hostages, including many children, and the elderly, including Holocaust survivors. Hamas, which the other day released a video of a hostage they murdered, his eyeball was pulled out, his arm was broken, his jaw was broken, his finger was sliced off. They then released the video and claimed that the mutilated hostage was killed, it's a big joke, by Israel trying to free the hostages. I'm sure that's what got the finger cut off and his eyeball pulled out. No. This is what Palestinians do. They mutilate bodies. They have sex with dead bodies. This is the lowest disease that has ever existed on the planet. They make the Nazis blush. Imagine if Israel released a video, not of a Gazan civilian, but a terrorist with his eyeball gouged out, finger cut off, jaw broken, arm broken, and proudly said to the world, this terrorist was killed by an errant rocket fired from gaza the world would go fucking nuts when palestinians do it not a peep of outrage in any single global media outlet we have come to expect this from palestinians because as i said they are a disease you do not let disease grow and again hamas continues to promise to do this massacre again they refuse to surrender or hand back to hostages. They hide among civilians. They fire rockets from schools and mosques where they hide weapons. They fire rockets from safe areas that Israel has designated to protect civilians. They fire rockets from hospitals. They hide their terrorists and weapons in hospitals, inside civilian homes. Where is the outrage over this? We care about Palestinian civilians, but not when Hamas purposely gets them killed. Why don't we care about that? And we keep hearing about how they're starving. They're starving. They're still firing fucking rockets. Eat the fucking rockets. As for the calls for a ceasefire, when Israel agreed to a temporary ceasefire for a week during the war, Hamas broke it in 15 minutes, just as they broke the ceasefire that was in place on October 7. But Israel should agree to another ceasefire to allow Hamas to survive and kill again? There's no chance. No chance, Joe Biden. I know that it's going to cost you a few Muslim votes, and that's all you care about. Who gives a fuck? Do the right thing for once. More hypocrisy. On Friday, the United States vetoed a U.N. resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire for all the reasons I just described. Listen to this, Russia, Russia, called the vote, quote, one of the darkest days in the history of the Middle East and accused the U.S. of issuing, quote, a death sentence to thousands, if not tens of thousands, more civilians in Palestine and Israel, including women and children. Keep in mind that Russia is the country which invaded its neighbor, killed tens of thousands of civilians, and never once even suggested it wasn't targeting civilians. And we have to listen to them? Listen to the balls on this one from Hamas, which started this war with a massacre and now hides among civilians in order to get them killed. Hamas called the United States veto of the U.N. ceasefire resolution, quote, ethic- unethical and inhumane. The U.S. obstruction of the issuance of a ceasefire resolution is direct participation with the occupation in killing our people and committing more massacres and ethnic cleansing. How utterly Insane is this? The government of Palestine, which cuts the fingers of civilians, gouges their eyes out, and not only doesn't hide this type of torture, but sends out a video of it for the world to see. They're accusing America of being unethical and inhumane about a war that they started and they can't finish. But they know they can get away with this obvious hypocrisy because they know that the world is filled with Jew haters. And they'll just look the other way. And they refuse to condemn the rape and massacre of Israeli women. They're just going to look the other way and pretend that Hamas is being reasonable. Again, this is a group lambasting the United States and Israel for being inhuman, when its only military strategy is ensuring that Israel kills civilian. They use rape as a tool of war. They never fight Israel directly. It's all guerrilla warfare from civilian areas designed to get their own people killed so that they'll be protected. And their idiot Jew-hating constituents, Gazans, they love this shit. Now, it's not a a good time, and I'm getting sick of talking about this, I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm getting angry, and it's not a good time to be a Jew in America. Jews are afraid to reveal their religions? A, A Muslim can walk around with his hijab on? Are you kidding me? And his beard down to the fucking ground? But it's Jews that have to be afraid to reveal their religion so they don't get their heads lopped off? Jews are afraid to put out Hanukkah decorations? They're being attacked in streets all over America? nothing to do with israel and what i'll say is this carry a weapon don't be dumb carry a weapon learn to use it properly use it against your attacker and if they attack you use it until they are unable to ever attack you again new york city and other big cities are not stopping the violence of hamas supporters so you need to do it yourself fuck the government Fuck the police. They're not doing shit. Eric Adams, the mayor in the club in New York City, who may be indicted soon for his relationship with the Muslim terrorist state of Turkey, has like a 28% approval rating. It's lower than, than, than de Blasio ever had. He's utterly useless. He let migrants destroy New York City. He's put migrants ahead of New York City taxpayers as he's making us pay more and cutting all the services to actual citizens. Now he lets Muslim terror rioters attack our museums, our bridges, our train stations, our businesses. And he's missing an action. Every fucking weekend this happens. He's probably straightening out his diamond earring, his jewelry. We have a mayor in these difficult times who cares more about his fucking jewelry than safety in the biggest city in the world. His jewelry. Here's my suggestion. Violence is the answer sometimes. I strongly urge Jews and Americans who are attacked by Hamas supporters to use righteous violence against your attackers. Violence can be good. Violence can be your friend. Feel warm in the embrace of violence. Don't discount violence in response to these savages because they think you won't use it against them. Surprise them. Use it. Use it. The hypocrisy of the leftist American Jew haters was clear this past week. The university presidents for MIT, Harvard, and Penn, they all went to Congress and testified about the massive problem of anti-Semitism on their campuses. Now, keep in mind that these three college presidents were invited because the Jew hate on their campuses was so bad since the October 7 massacre in Israel. There are schools just as bad or worse than MIT, Cornell. I can think of Georgetown, NYU, Rutgers. There are many schools that are, as I said, just as bad or worse than MIT, Harvard, and Penn with their Jew hate. But these three, MIT, Harvard, and Penn, they're near the top. Before this hearing, a poll had come out showing that 73% of Jewish college students have witnessed anti-Semitism on campus. 73%. Only 46% of Jewish college students felt physically safe on campus since the October 7 Hamas massacre in Israel. In America, in 2023, less than one half of Jewish college students feel physically safe on their campuses. This is normal, right? This is normal. For the MIT college president, it was reported that 70% of MIT's Jewish students were polled as saying that they hide their identities and perspectives due to the extreme nature of pro-Palestinian groups on campus. Seven out of ten. One Israeli student has stayed in his dorm room for weeks due to death threats and that his, his identity was sold online for a bounty. One Jewish student stated that she left her study group for her doctoral exams, quote, because my group members told me that the people at the music festival deserved to die because they were partying on stolen land. The diversity, equity, and inclusion officer of MIT told Jewish students that Israel harvests the organs of Palestinians and that Israel had no right to exist. Insane lies. Faculty who were complained to at MIT told Jewish students if they're scared, they should go back to Israel. This is at MIT. It's clear that the Jew hate on these campuses are not anecdotal, but instead is part of the administration's position. At Penn and Harvard, there have been even worse Jew-hating threats and violence, and Jewish students walk around campus seeing and hearing calls for the genocide of Jews. At Harvard, pro-Hamas students, they walk into classrooms with bullhorns, interrupt the classes, and scream for the destruction of Israel. These students aren't even in the fucking classes. They do what they want, and then they walk out when they're done. They're not kicked out. No one's kicking them out. I can tell you this. You come into my space with that shit, I'm beating you to death. I'm beating you to death. Someone's going to have to pull me off before I kill you. You're not doing this in my space. The college students are just sitting there taking it. Like fucking sheep, just taking it. Students have their learning interrupted. We're paying for this, $75,000 a year to have some low grade, low IQ pro Hamas terror supporter interrupting the learning? It's insane. Jewish students are attacked physically on campus at Penn, at Harvard, At MIT, it's allowed. It's not stopped. So the university presidents from these schools, they knew they were going into this congressional hearing on anti-Semitism, knowing that they'd be grilled on their failure to make even the slightest efforts to stop it. So you know they all got together and devised a plan beforehand. There had to be a room filled with 50 PhDs, lawyers, PR teams, all deciding the correct answers in advance. They devised a plan, a script. They would pretend that they were all about free speech all of a sudden, even though these schools do not tolerate any free speech unless it's from the far left or Muslim terrorists, which is one and the same. You think I'm making this up? The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression ranked 250 American colleges and universities for their allowing free speech and open inquiry on campus. Guess who finished last in America of the 250 schools? Harvard. Penn was second to last. Georgetown and Northwestern, two more pro-Hamas, Jew-hating universities, were right there at the bottom too. All the most anti-Semitic schools were near the bottom. They only allow free speech when it comes to terrorizing Jews. But back to the congressional hearing. What would happen when the school presidents were all asked about the calls for the death of Jews on campus? How would they deal with it? Remember, big room filled with teams of PR people, lawyers, PhDs. They all sat in a room figuring out a strategy, these geniuses. Normally, you'd think that they'd want to lie about it and say that they're doing all they can to stop the open Jew hate, to try to hide their own Jew hate. But you're dealing with an academic bubble that has long been controlled by the far left. Part of the Jew hate in American colleges is because of Jew-hating countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia giving billions of dollars to universities and getting Jew-hating professors and Jew-hating Middle Eastern students into the school to brainwash everybody else. But how does this happen? It happens because the schools are already run by Jew-hating leftists and have been for years. They welcome the Jew-hating professors and the savage students who want Israel destroyed. It's a perfect marriage, and this has been going on for decades. This is nothing new. I did a radio show about this in 2011. The same scumbag professors are still there at these schools. There is no pushback allowed on these campuses against this Muslim terror hate. No differing of opinions. Jews are bad. Israel is bad. And if you say otherwise, you're shunned. So the presidents of the schools come from the mindset that what they think is the only right way. I mean, these are academics. They think they're better than us. They push this on their students, and everyone falls in line and is happy to hate Jews. And I got to tell you, if you're a Jewish kid and you went to Penn, there's something fucking wrong with you. You're a pussy. I mean, let's be honest. You're just a fucking pussy. Because you know what you're getting into, you know that you're going to be abused on campus, but you're so desperate for that Penn degree, that Ivy degree, the stupidest Ivy of them all. You're so desperate for the degree that you're willing to hide your Jewishness and swallow the shit sandwich that they're giving you. So the students, your pussies, look at your parents. They're pussies too. You should be leaving the school. You should be leaving the school that wants you dead. Now, these school presidents, they went to Congress, and in deciding to answer the question of, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no, the school presidents decided they would not answer yes, that calling for the murder of Jews is hate speech on their campus. How sick is this? Anyone with a brain would know that calling for the genocide of a particular race or religion is bad, but not at American universities, apparently. Even the Nazis knew enough to lie about what they did to Jews, but not American leftist academia. They each answered the same way. It was like robots. They all got together clearly for the same answer. They all said it depends on the context. It depends if the call for genocide leads to action. I mean, this is what they said. The president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, perfect last name for her because now she gets extra points for she's black and she's gay, even if she's not actually gay. She was an affirmative action hire, clearly. She has almost no academic accomplishments. She's written no books. She's written 11 articles in her life, all about race and gender. Because anything that requires thinking and intelligence, no, no. Race and gender, then any fucking ignoramus can write an article about it. And again, she's published zero academic books. Every position she's received in academia leading up to being named Harvard's president was due to affirmative action. How many professors can even get tenure at a university without publishing a single book? How about zero? She's a total fraud. She's a Steve Urkel-looking motherfucking fraud. She became Harvard's president after the shortest search for a president in Harvard's history, with almost zero academic qualifications, other than being a black woman. That's the only qualification that matters at Harvard. When asked about the calls for the genocide of Jews on her campus, Gay said, quote, anti-Semitic rhetoric, when it crosses into conduct, it amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation. That is actionable conduct and we do take action, Gay said. So only when the calls for genocide crosses into conduct, like when murder is actually attempted, does she consider it to be bullying, harassment, or intimidation? She was asked this question over and over and refused to say that calling for the genocide of Jews was a problem at Harvard. She kept answering, it depends on the context. She was defiant. She was angry. She was not going to be told that calling for the genocide of Jews was bad at Harvard. Liz McGill, the Jew-hating president of Penn, was equally defiant. She was smirking as she kept saying, quote, it depends on the context when asked if calling for the murder of Jews was against Penn policy. She was asked 17 times, and 17 times she smirked over and over and said, it depends if the hate speech leads to actual violence. She didn't care how it came off. She felt that in her world, the only world she knows, you can get away with calling for the murder of Jews because Jews have always mattered less in leftist academia. If you use the wrong pronouns of someone on campus at Penn, you know you're getting suspended or kicked out of school. Calling for the murder of Jews is free speech, unless it turns into actual murder, and then perhaps that's bullying or harassment. That might be wrong. Naturally, the presidents of these schools all went into damage control the next day when it was revealed how badly they looked, how crazy they looked. They thought they had done great. Claudine Gay gave an apology that was incoherent. She's clearly a low-IQ imbecile. She said she was sorry that, because words matter, words matter suddenly words matter when genocide is called for that word doesn't matter quote when words amplify distress and pain i don't know how you could feel anything but regret what does this even mean it's fucking word salad gibberish from an affirmative action moron Quote, what I should have had the presence of mind to do in that moment was return to my guiding truth, which is that calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students, have no place at Harvard, and will never go unchallenged. What? Her guiding truth was clear as a bell during that hearing. Calling for the murder of Jews is okay. She said it. How could that be her guiding truth when she said the complete opposite of during the congressional hearing she said context matters i call for the murder of her this is a podcast so it's you know this is satire of course she allows students to call for the murder of jews and now she claims it is no place at harvard it has every place Liz McGill from Penn issued a groveling apology that looked like a hostage video, like one of the Hamas hostage videos released in which the Israeli captive blames Israel for being taken hostage and having her entire family murdered by Hamas inside Israel. Liz McGill didn't address her constant smirking in her apology video, uh, the smirking during the congressional hearing, when she was defiantly claiming that calling for the murder of Jews at Penn does not violate any campus policy. She said, quote, I was not focused on, but should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate, she said. It's evil, plain and simple. She wasn't focused. She was asked 17 times the same question. Is it a fact that calling for genocide of Jews on Penn's campus is wrong? She was focused plenty. She refused to say yes every single time, but now she claims she wasn't focused on the only question, pretty much, that she was asked. Even though her face was literally pushed into the shit on the rug, which is Jew hate at the University of Pennsylvania, she wouldn't buckle she was standing firm. Sally Kornblew from MIT, a self-loathing Jew, if there ever was one, president of MIT, she didn't even bother to apologize. Why apologize and lose her leftist credit? She's a Jew hater, and she testified that it was okay at MIT to call for the murder of Jews, and she's a Jew, a real capo. The leftist shithole universities are this detached from reality. Even the liberal White House was appalled. A deputy White House press secretary said, quote, it's unbelievable that this needs to be said. Calls for genocide are monstrous and anti-ethical to everything we represent as a country. Any statements that advocate for the systemic murder of Jews are dangerous and revolting, and we should all stand firmly against them on the side of human dignity and the most basic values that unite us as Americans. I mean, how obvious is that? Of course, keep in mind that the White House routinely relies on Islamist Jew-haters when formulating policies against anti-Semitism. Talk about the fox guarding the hen house. Despite the Council on American-Islamic Relations, known as CARE, being aligned with numerous terrorists and terror organizations, despite there being an unindicted co-conspirator in a federal Hamas Muslim terror case in which every defendant was convicted of every count, The Biden White House needed to get on their knees for for Muslim voters who are constantly threatening to sit home next November due to Biden standing somewhat with Israel in its war in Gaza. So how does the Biden White House show loyalty to Muslim voters? Well, it brings in a Muslim terror group to its fold. Back in May, the White House made CARE part of its national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. I shit you not. Care was told to educate religious communities on protecting their houses of worship from hate incidents and developing strong relationships with other faith communities. I mean, this is insanity. So guess what happened? After the October 7 massacre, Care's national director said, quote, I was happy to see people breaking the siege and throwing down the shackles of their own land and walk free into their land, Israel, which they were not allowed to walk in. This guy is celebrating the massacre of 1,200 Jews, the taking of 240 hostages, the rape of women and children and men. This guy is working with the fucking White House. Everybody knows he's a terrorist. He's got terror ties. But the White House needs them because they need those votes. The same deputy White House press secretary who slammed the American college presidents for their Jew hatred before Congress had to say this about the leader of CARE. Quote, we condemn these shocking anti-Semitic statements in the strongest terms. Every leader has a responsibility to call out anti-Semitism wherever it rears its ugly head. Listen, everybody knows that CARE is a hate group. Everybody. Not everyone needs these votes from these dirty, filthy Islamist scumbags like the White House does. They're not shocked. They were just hoping that care could shut their mouths for once. Finally, on Saturday, Liz McGill, the president of Penn, resigned. And it was just done to try to stop the loss of donations from donors that are sickened by Penn's Jew hate, which started at the, at, with her at the top. Her resignation is meaningless and does nothing to clean Penn up in a just world. She'd be taken out back and a bullet would put between her eyes in a just world. She'd be put down as Jewish students were cowering in their dorm rooms at Penn while crazed Jew hating Islamists and their leftist supporters hunted them down at Penn under Liz McGill's protection. She should be taken out back and put down now. Of course, my wish for her violent death should be taken in context. This is a satirical podcast. Context matters, Liz, right? If you slip in the shower and break your neck, I will pass out candy to children. And as I've said here on this podcast before, American universities are now pushing a social agenda to get academically inferior students of certain color, religion, and race into top schools and graduating them in order to get them into important jobs and positions in society that they don't nearly deserve due to their lack of academic achievement. Yet, you this is how you do it. You take some People of color or national origin or religion who can't nearly compete with better students to get into the top schools. You accept their admission, knowing they can't do the work if the playing field is level. And then you ensure that not only they don't fail out, but that they get good grades. You clean it up. And this way, when they apply for graduate programs or important jobs, they appear to be brilliant students graduating from top schools, but they aren't. They're low-grade morons who have fancy Ivy League degrees. And this is how the left socially engineers the future to ensure that less whites or Asians have top jobs, people that are busting their ass and achieving. And instead, uh, these jobs and positions go to inferior students who happen to be the right color or from the right Muslim terror state, which is what the leftist institutions want. This is about social engineering to end what liberal academia believes is white supremacy. So, although whites make up 68 to 70% of the population, these top schools like Stanford and Yale have only 20 to 40% white students. Jews, which used to make up 20 to 30% of Ivy League student bodies, now make up 10 to 15% of these schools. The schools accomplish this by getting rid of the SATs, by discounting grades, because these are two factors that diverse applicants are not strong in, apparently. So how do these top schools churn out inferior students dressed up as America's greatest young college grads? Well, look at the videos from Harvard, Penn, NYU during these Jew hate protests. So many of these students, they can barely string words together. They're fucking intellectual morons. So how do they graduate and get these top jobs? Well, the leftist institutions know that the dumb affirmative action admission students need help. So they ensure that the dumbest, least qualified kids get A's which means everyone has to get an A's because everyone else in the class is smarter than these morons. You think I'm making this up? Ask college students today what their grade point average is. See if you can find someone under a 3.8. In a New York Times article published just a few days ago, it was revealed that 80% of all grades given to undergraduates at Yale last academic year were A's or A-minuses. 80 percent. The average GPA at Yale is 3.7. At Harvard, 79% of all grades given to undergrads in the 2020 to 21 academic year were A's or A minuses. A decade earlier, that figure was 60%. In 2021, the average GPA at Harvard was 3.8. The average, everybody gets A's. This is how cheap the degrees are at a top college in America now. You're not getting this at at public universities. You're getting this at private, private schools, private liberal schools, that want to bring in students that don't belong there. They let in people that shouldn't be there by getting rid of the standardized test scores and eliminating spots for whites and Jews. They ensure that the weaker students that they take in will all get A's. The inferior students graduate, and they're given the sheen of an Ivy League diploma to be sent off into the working world in America completely unable to do the job that they're hired for. They just got to fool somebody during the interview. And globally, America's ranking academically continues to fall. Can you guess why? But what American colleges in America do well at is brainwashing students to hate America and to hate Jews. Instead of taking the best students and turning out the best graduates, American universities are filled with foreigners from Muslim terror states and less Jews. So guess what college campuses then become? They become hotbeds of Jew hate. This is what liberal academia wants, which is why they take the billions from Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And they hire Jew-hating Islamist professors to brainwash the students. I mean, you've got professors that are calling for the genocide of Jews that are celebrating October 7's massacre. And they're allowed to be among young kids nowadays? fucking sick is that? Again, they should be ta- in a just world. They'd be taken out back and two behind the ear, period. Again, this is just context, and we're just, it's it's a satirical podcast. I would never call for the violence against these Jew-hating scumbag professors. A poll came out the other day from the Economist publication, Economist magazine. 20% of Americans age 18 to 29 believe the Holocaust was a myth. One in five young people. 25% of Americans age 18 to 29 believe the Holocaust was exaggerated. One in four. Only 51% of young people strongly disagreed that Holocaust was a myth. Only one out of two young people strongly disagreed with the statement that the Holocaust was a myth. How sick is this? Only 55% of black Americans strongly disagreed that the Holocaust was a myth. 29% of Democrats either agree that the Holocaust was a myth or don't have an opinion. That's almost one in three Democrats don't believe that the Holocaust occurred or just don't have an opinion, which is the same thing. Jew hate is becoming completely normalized among young people, blacks, and liberals. So that's why the presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard could come into Congress and happily insist that calling for the murder of Jews worldwide is not hate speech on their campuses. And if you think this type of thinking ends with the Jews, you're dreaming. The same people, these same people, hate America just as much. I'm gonna take a quick break and be back with something, a lighter subject. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Now, as I said, I've got to take a break from some serious stuff because I'm, I'm really sick of talking about it. And I don't know that I'm going to talk about it our next podcast because it's, it's, I'm getting obsessed with my anger. So I want to do a favor to some of my younger listeners. I've got a lot of young college age listeners, and I want to give them an idea, a taste of what life was like back in the 70s when I grew up. For my older listeners, my guess is you'll remember it all too well. First of all, as kids, we weren't always so well-behaved. We didn't have as much, uh, we didn't have the helicopter parents that exist today. But instead of being coddled or appeased, we got our asses beat regularly. We got our asses beat. Now, I have never even dreamed of smacking my kids when they were young, never. Never. I mean, did I threaten them on occasion if they misbehaved? But like minor stuff, I never threatened to to give them a beating. I'd make them, you know, I'd threaten to make them sleep in the basement before the basement was finished into a 2,700 square foot clubhouse for my boys and their friends. Back then, beatings. On the reg, you were beaten. You opened up your mouth, you got beat. You didn't do well in school, a wooden hanger would get broken over your head. Your mouth off to your mother, she'd either beat your ass right then and there, or then tell you that your father would beat your ass when he got home. And that's the first thing your dad wanted to do when he was working 12-hour jobs. He wanted to come home and have to beat your ass. But he did, and he was pissed about it. And there were constant threats, constant threats to children. You were fighting with your brother in the back of the car on a family trip, Maybe a trip was 45 minutes long. Your dad said he was going to stop the car, and one of two things would then happen. He'd either beat your ass right there or kick you out of the car and leave you there. And sometimes they didn't kick us out of the car. We'd cry. We would get the hint. You know, we just sit there crying. There was a lot of crying when you were a kid my age. You know, sometimes they'd put you on the side of the road, they'd kick you out of the car. They'd actually kick us out and they'd drive like 200 feet away and you'd be st- sitting there with your brother. You'd be crying like a motherfucker. They then put the car in rever- reverse and told us to get into the car or they'd beat our asses if we didn't get in. Now, you're constantly getting punished in the 70s as kids. Shit was taken away from us. We weren't allowed to go out with our friends if we misbehaved. Let's say we, we had filthy mouths like me, our moms would threaten to wash our mouths out with soap. And it really happened. This, this legit happened. Anybody who's listening who's 50 or older, decent chance you had your mouth uh, washed out with soap. We'd be given a bar of soap and told to put it in our mouths, and we'd have to sit there with this soap in our mouths for like, you know, half an hour, and we'd have to swallow some of that shit. It was horrible. And it was <laughs> like it was actually going to clean up our language. It happened to me. I have a memory of my mom. This is the truth. I remember this. I must have been five, six of my mom filling my mouth with liquid soap. I think it was that green palm olive dishwashing shit. She didn't want to waste a bar of soap on me. And that palm olive, it tasted like shit. And it clearly did not work. It didn't take. All right? Now, remember how everyone in the 70s, they had those fancy soaps in a dish in their guest bathrooms in the 70s. This is, it ended soon thereafter. The 80s hit and this stuff was over. These soaps, these were fancy, like little pieces of art. They were shaped like pieces of fruit or flowers and like the rose wouldn't be red. It would be gold to match the color of your bathroom. Cause back in the 70s, your bathroom could be gold and black were the only colors in the bathroom. When you had blue shag carpet, and orange velvet couches. This is what we had in our house growing up. So gold soap in the shape of a flower, it was a thing. You never used them because they were for the guests. The guests were special. There was a guest bathroom. But the guests never used them because they didn't look like soap. Like, I'm going to use a, a gold flower to wash my hands? No, I'm just going to rinse my hands out with water because I don't want to be the guy to, to put water on that 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 flower soap thing. Anyway, I would have been happy to have one of those bad boys in my mouth when I got my mouth washed out with soap because they looked tasty. But of course, no, I got palm olive soap in my mouth. Tasted like shit. Now, as you got older and you got bigger than your parents, they stopped beating your ass, which was a good thing. Finally, it ended. But as a kid, you never forgot that stuff. So now you're older and you're successful and you're helping your parents out on occasion, being nice to them, sharing the wealth, so to speak. But you never forgot how much they beat your ass. I remember asking my mom before she passed away a couple of years ago, why did you beat my ass so much? She completely denied it. She said it never happened. I mean, what the fuck? It happened. I'm telling you. I'll remember that till, till my dying day on my deathbed. I'll remember it. And we talked about this before, about the smoking in the 70s. Every parent smoked all day in your house, blowing smoke in your face in the car. Cigarette butts were overflowing every ashtray in the car. There's not even an ashtray in the car anymore. They had them in the the side in the armrests on the side on the left and the right, the passenger and the uh, driver's seat in the back seat as well. little metal thing you you press the top of it, it would kind of pop open. You could fit like, I don't know, ten quarters or seventy five cigarette butts in there. Just keep smashing them down. keep smashing them down, keep smashing them down. keep smashing them down. Now, when you went to the car wash, the first thing you did was you put the giant vacuum hose that looked like a, like a, like an elephant's uh, trunk. You stuck that hose inside the ashtrays to suck all the butts and the ash out of there. Our parents knew they were giving us cancer with all that secondhand smoke, and they just didn't care. And today, I get my kids everything. They want for nothing. Now, they're, they're, they're good kids, and they're very respectful and very kind and very hardworking. Much better kids than I was when I was young. But when it's time for their birthday, there's nothing to give them. I swear, when they want something, I just get it for them. They don't have to wait for a birthday. It's hard to think of a birthday present for them. This is a true story because they have everything they want. For me as a kid, there was a ton of stuff I never got. I begged for it. I wanted a Giants football uniform. The whole thing, the whole shebang, from the helmet to the jersey to the shoulder pads, the pants, the socks... The cleats, my mom promised she'd get it for me if I stopped biting my nails. Well, I couldn't, okay? I was, I was addicted, all right? I had an addiction. It was a sickness. I couldn't stop. She never got me the Giants uniform. Just give the kid a uniform. It probably cost, I don't know, 15 bucks soup to nuts back then in 1974. The, the Giants were like two and 12 every year. They probably were selling it for like two thirds off. When I graduated law school, no one had any mercy on me and my family. Get a fucking job. Make some money. Nowadays, we do everything for our kids. We try to help them get internships, pay their way for every type of tutor or advisor necessary. Back then, get a fucking job. Make some money. Now, I swear there's another subject I wanted to go into. I swear I wanted to talk about it. It just made me laugh the other night. I was thinking about it. the the term peeping Tom, a peeping Tom, a voyeur, so to speak. It it just made me laugh. It was such a common term back in the 70s. Now, not so much. Now, I learned that it, it does go back to the 18th century and perhaps even earlier. But I wanted to talk about the term peeping Tom during this podcast, maybe next week on Beyond the Legal Limit. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully I'll be back next week. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts can be found. See you then.